for the next however long it takes me to get through it. Could be a year, could be three. And today we're going to look at two verses, which will only take about an hour. Now, if you found Hebrews, we're going to look at verse 1 and verse 2. The Bible says this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, God spoke to us by the Son. And he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. Friends, the grass withers and the flowers fade, and the word of the This too is God's word. Uh, this week, uh, my son Jack went to the ENT doctor because we weren't sure he was hearing us well. We would ask him to do something and say, What? I didn't hear you. We would ask him to do something else and say, What? I didn't hear you. But it turns out, Jack's hearing is perfect. <laughs> he just didn't hear us. But the trip got me thinking about how much I wish there was a spiritual ENT doctor. Because I need to have my spiritual ears checked. I don't know about you, but I feel like even as a pastor, I find myself telling God, what did you say? I didn't hear you. God, if you're talking, can you turn up the volume a little bit? Have you ever tried to talk to God, ask God for direction in your life, take a big decision to God and ask Him which way to go, ask Him why things were turning out the way they were, and then struggle to identify God's voice as apart from the other voices in your head or the static in our world? Have you ever felt like, man, God, still talks? I can't hear anything. Maybe I'm not tuning in the right frequency, or maybe God has given me time. Yeah, me too. Me too. I can remember uh, when I was going to college, asking God which college to go to. When I uh, had my heart broken in college by a woman, I remember asking God why. And then when I met Claire and I fell in love with her, I was asking God, am I ready for marriage? And then we fell in love and um, somebody explained the birds and the beast to me and asked God, am I ready for kids? And then we went to buy a house and asked God, is this the right house to buy? And then it came time to make money to pay for the house and asked God, is this the right job? And I never heard clear answers on all of those things. All of us know this feeling. We've been desperate for God to speak to us, not just to grab us by the arm and lead us to safety, but to actually stop and talk to us. And after 15 years of pastoring people, I'm convinced that each human being hungers for the voice of God like prisoners awaiting release. When life throws us curveballs, we want to know God is paying attention. And the Bible says that where God seems absent, people wither like limbs cut from the vine. This book of Hebrews is a sermon written to a church who is asking questions and who is desperate to hear from God. I'll tell you all about their story some other time, but we don't have time today. Friends, they are trying to figure out if this Jesus stuff is worth their time. And every follower of Jesus and every church of followers will have to ask the same question. Endless situation of believers hungry to know that God is real and that He matters for their situation. The book of Hebrews starts with a startling sentence. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. 
But in these last days, God has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also named the universe. So our quiet desperation, the Hebrew preachers and to the church, the Hebrew church's quiet desperation, the first thing this preacher wants to say is that God speaks. Remember the Bible begins with in the beginning, God created, and then God goes on to create through speaking. Well, here the preacher says God spoke. The first thing he wants you to know about God is that God spoke. What's more that God spoke and has spoken? What's more than that that God spoke in many times? And still more that God spoke in many ways? And still more that God has spoken definitively in his Son. And so our first point is that God speaks. This is the first point that the book of Hebrews makes, that God speaks. God does not give the world the silent treatment. In the beginning, we're told by the Bible that God spoke the world into creation. He said, let there be light, and there was. All that came into being was spoken into existence by the voice and the instruction of God. But God doesn't just speak into creation. He doesn't just speak into creation. God speaks to his creation. God speaks to what he has made. Every time he makes something, he stops to say, it is good. God speaks to the things he's made. Stop and think for a minute. What does that tell you about God? That God spoke, that God speaks. It tells us a lot about God's nature. That God is a revelator. That God is a revealer. That God wants to be known by us. That God wants to be part of creation, not just the author of creation. God wants to interact and to love, to talk, to share, to teach, to reach out. Think about it. Why do we talk to people? Why do we go through the hard work of getting the stuff in here, into the space between us, and then into your ears. Because we want to be known, and we want to know the other person, so that we can be loved, and so that we can love. God not only speaks, but God builds out humanity with the requisite capacities to talk with God. God makes us relational, and rational, and spiritual. God makes us relational, Beings utterly dependent upon community. Without community, we will literally go insane. We have the ability and the irrepressible desire to love that was given to us by God. But God also made us rational creatures, capable of conscious thought and language development. Not only can we communicate, we can express complex thoughts about the world through our language-making skills. And God made us spiritual, capable of having communion with other spiritual beings. For God is himself spirit. Your capacity to think straight and to love and to dream are proof that God wants to talk to you. They are proof that God wants to relate to us. Just as sure as ears on the side of your head are proof that you were built to listen. Making God the ability to talk is part of being made in the image of God. When the Bible says that God spoke, the Bible is not anthropomorphizing God. You know what that means? It's a fancy word to mean making God like human beings, like projecting humanity on God. Instead, Christianity says that any relationship, any, any likeness between us and God, because God has theomorphized human beings, has made humanity like God. God speaks and made us capable of hearing, because God is not content with us just having warm fuzzies or vague impressions about himself. God wants communication. I love the phrase from AA, conscious contact with God. But I don't think it goes far enough. Because the God of the Bible wants more than conscious contact with you. The God of the Bible wants con conscious communication with you. The 
because God wants relational intimacy. And this is indeed what we see in the beginning of the Bible with Adam. The first person we see human beings talking to is not another human being or animals. It is to God. Adam hears God's voice in the garden. They have conversations. And one of Adam's first tasks is to partner with God to use his language skills to name all the living things. You get the sense that God is training Adam to use his words the way we train our children to identify objects in their surroundings. In the Garden of Eden, there is no disconnect. God speaks, Adam hears. Then Adam speaks, and God hears. And friends, this simple truth that God speaks, those two words, God spoke, should change a few things about how we live. Because the ability to talk and communicate is a God-given gift. We have to think very seriously about the way we talk. We sin more with our words than we do often with our hands. That's why James will say, if you could be perfect in your speech, your whole life will be perfect. Are you talking and communicating like the words you speak are sacred? Every time you talk, you are mirroring the God who speaks. Are your words life-giving, like God's words in creation? Do they build up or do they tear down? This is why, friends, we cannot, as Jesus followers, Use our words to slander and name-call like schoolyard bullies or political bullies. We cannot tolerate racial slurs or words that, meant, that are meant to demean or degrade. We cannot sin more with our words than we do with our hands, and we cannot excuse it. We cannot excuse people who claim the name of Jesus and then defile their God-given gift of language with haughtiness or crude humor or murderous speech. We've got to be serious about the things that come out of our mouth as we are about the sanctity of marriage or the, the gift of unborn children. Can you imagine the difference it would make in our world if Christians refused to call names, refused to label people stupid, refused to bash our political opponents like wimpy kids in the cafeteria? Can you imagine what would happen at Oakland if you never had to be afraid that someone would gossip about your struggles or mock your ignorance. Think about it. You would be able to share openly about your needs and then actually receive help without fear that someone would stigmatize your mental health or your children's mental health needs. You would be able to ask sincere questions so you might actually <coughs> learn where the book of Habakkuk is in the Old Testament or how to pray or how to tithe or why in the world we sing so many songs without people being angry, mocking you for being stupid or new to the church. So we dishonor the image of God in us when we speak abusively, but we also dishonor God when we refuse to communicate. And so we must, must, must stop stonewalling and giving the sign of truth. According to John Gottman, stonewalling is one of the most devastating practices in relationships. It is the silent treatment repeated over and over again and given steroids. When conflict happens, one partner shuts down and he or she will not talk. Often they will emotionally and physically distance themselves. Sometimes this silent treatment is designed to intentionally punish the other person, to force them, to beg us to communicate, to grovel well enough. Other times it's just designed to say control, to stay in control. Of this relationship will get better when I decide it will get better. But until then, it will be right here. If you refuse, 
apologize or to accept apologies, to talk or to listen, or you only do those things when you want to, you might as well hire a divorce lawyer and a counselor for your kids right now and take everyone to heaven. But the silent treatment does an immense damage to the souls and the sessions of both partners, the silent one and the one who desperately needs it. It is emotionally and spiritually abusive. It is essentially strangling another human being emotionally, even if your hands are not Jesus' disciples must swear, forswear the silent because we alone have all things in this great So what is the problem? Is God, in fact, giving us the silent treatment? Well, the answer, according to the Bible, is that sin has clogged our ears to God's voice. Adam and Eve, as I mentioned, knew God's voice. They knew God's voice as clearly as you know your mom's voice in the midst of a crowd, and as easily as you can recognize your beloved's voice on the end of the other of the telephone. But Adam and Eve refused to trust and obey God's communication. They doubted the truth of what God was telling them and the goodness of the heart behind those words. And they did what God told them not to do. And one of the first consequences of this thing the Bible calls sin is the breakdown of communication. It became harder and harder to hear God's voice. It's interesting to note in the Bible that after Adam and Eve sinned and after God graciously and gleefully explains the consequences of their rebellion, the Bible never records Adam hearing God's voice again. That's the last time Adam hears God's voice in the Bible. His son Cain only hears God's voice one time in the Bible, and it's, I mean, it's his son Abel. And only after he's killed his brother. Uh, if we keep going through the Bible, think about it. This isn't, I just thought about this a week, but the Bible only records the righteous Noah who built the ark, he only hears God's voice four times in his whole life according to the Bible. There's only four times the Bible talks about Noah hearing God. Father Abraham, you know Father Abraham, the king of faith? The Bible records eight times that Abraham heard God in over 120 years. By the time of Samuel and King David, 1 Samuel chapter 3 verse 1 says, In those days the word of the Lord was exceedingly rare, and there were not many visions. I should give you some comfort, right? But I know you only hear God every once in a while. Maybe you've been waiting your whole life to hear God. It hasn't happened yet. Maybe you've heard God once. You can say, I feel like God directed me there and spoke to me there. He gave me a word. I showed up one Sunday and the preacher was talking and I knew he was talking to me. Friends, it seems like the Lord only got to eight times in 120 years. Four times in Noah. But look at what Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 says. It says, God spoke to our ancestors that many times in various ways. When communication broke down between heaven and earth, between God and humanity, it wasn't because God was giving the sign of treatment. God was doing all God could do to communicate with us. God is persistent in his, in his communication. God knows that repetition is key to retention. This is what says over and over and over again. God tells us the same things. Generation after generation, God spoke. And he did so in many different ways. He sent prophet after prophet, speaking in elaborate metaphors, some prophets interpreting dreams, some were kind and tender like a shepherd, others were thunderous and brutally blunt like Ezekiel. That is an R-rated book if you have not read it. 
Some spoke for years, some prophets for a few days. So God knows that repetition is key for attention, but God also knows that a picture is worth a thousand words. And it's not good. And so God gave his people dozens and dozens of pictures to allow to, to communicate both himself and his message to them. He gave them the Passover lamb and all the sacrificial lambs that were slain so they could understand the sacrificial love of God and that they would recognize the one great lamb of God who was going to come to take the sin away from the world. God gave them a priest who would intercede and pray on behalf of the people so that they would recognize the one great priest who would come. God gave them the ark to carry them, uh, to carry them Noah's ark to carry them through the judgment to prepare them for the cross that would carry us through judgment. God gave them the rainbow and circumcision, these pictures they could see. He gave them, and yet God knows that not only is that picture worth a thousand words, but actions speak louder than words. And so God acted decisively in the past to communicate his love and his character. God delivered his people from Egypt with miracles and signs, with the parting of the Red Sea, so that God's people would know God is a deliverer that God was mindful of the oppressed and the exploited, and he was coming back. God knows still that while a picture of a thousand words, and while actions speak louder than words, there are some things that cannot be said. They can only be sung. And so God gave his a whole book of songs called the Psalms. He set his words to music so that their children and their children's children would sing these songs while they played with their toys and filled hands with hunger while picking cotton in the heat of summer. And finally, God knew that short pencil is better than a long memory any day of the week. So God had his speech written down by Moses and the prophets. God did this so that even when people forgot the Bible, never would. Reading the Old Testament is like reading God's creative and persistent and patient attempts to communicate with the world to Israel, trying again and again to translate it into images and actions that Israel could understand so that the whole world might come to know the one true God through Israel. And all this persistent and various communication crescendos into the greatest act of self-revelation possible because God knows that when words and pictures and actions and songs are simply not sufficient, one gives just the gift of presence. And so God speaks through his son. God translates the divine and humanity God translates the wall into where life lives. God translates love into human limbs that walk around. Indeed, in this climax of his revelation and speech, God does not send a scroll, but a son. God talks to us in a way that we can understand, in a person that we can relate to, in a life that we can watch. John 1 will go a step forward and say, this is not just God talking. This is the speech of God, the word of God in flesh, walking amongst us. He has got his voice translated into a human being. If you want to hear God's voice, if you want to learn to know God's voice, if you are desperate to know that God is paying attention and active, listen to Jesus. This is what God the Father is communicating on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus uh, goes up on the, the mountain with a couple of his disciples, and Elijah and Moses uh, show up, and Jesus is translated into this like bright, shiny, glorious light thing. And there's a voice from heaven. You remember what the voice of heaven says? There, you've got Moses, who represents all of God's revelation in the law, and then Elijah, all that God has communicated throughout history through the prophets. And then you have Jesus, the Son. And God doesn't say, 
Listen to them. He says, this, this is my son. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. God cannot speak to you any clearer than he has done in Jesus Christ. He cannot talk in more powerful, more demonstrable ways than he can on the cross. You will not find God any better in the Himalayas or at the bottom of the ocean. You will not find it in the, 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 the great coral reef or in the African safaris if you will not find it on the cross. If you cannot hear God yelling when he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what to, they do when he gets it is finished when he says, today you will be living in paradise. You will not hear God's voice in the deer stand or the fishing boat or the shopping mall. You will not hear it in the laughter of your children or in the, the crime of the oppressed. You will learn to hear it first here in the image and the words of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to finish with some applications. First, applications for our relationship with God. Listen to Jesus. Learn God's voice in Jesus' voice. Learn to hear the words of God in Jesus' words. Because God sounds just like Jesus. Study the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John regularly. Know his teaching as well as you know your favorite musician's lyrics. Hide these words in your heart. Second, you know how... The prophets were unable to hear God's voice and then give it to the people around them. Do you know what enabled them to do that? What gave them the capacity of that? What reversed the fall for a few moments and they could say, Thus saith the Lord? And they were anointed with the Lord's Spirit. So the Spirit of the Lord came upon them. Well, today is Pentecost. That's why that thing's read. Pentecost celebrates two things in the Bible. In the Old Testament, Pentecost is a feast day. It is a celebration to celebrate God giving what? You said the Holy Spirit, you're wrong. That's not the New Testament. And the Old Testament, the law. They had a whole feast to thank God for giving us this book. You just say, how good is God that he would give us this thing? Let's have a party. Somebody kill a, I wouldn't say kill a pig. That's what I'd say. Uh, they, they'd say somebody kill a fattened calf. We would say veal in our day. Uh, we're going to have veal melonese or parmesan or whatever today. Uh, to thank God for that. In the New Testament, God wants to give the good news that not only has God given the law by where we have a record of the prophet speaking, but God gives this gift of his Holy Spirit by which the prophet spoke. So that you know, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the same Holy Spirit that was in the prophet Elijah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah. You have the same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus when he preached on the Mount of Transfiguration. And you know that the Holy Spirit's work in your heart and in your life ensures that when you read the Bible, you will not just hear information about God, you will hear communication from God. You will not just hear information about God, you will hear communication from God. For this book is alive and it still runs after me and speaks to me and talks to me. If you are a believer, you will be moments in your life where you will sit down to read this book and it will feel like someone is reading it to you. You will say, how in the world did I read that on this day? The day that this was going to happen. How in God's mercy did he give me such good gifts and speak to me by his Holy Spirit? Friends, Jesus is still speaking and he still gives us impressions and prophecy and words of knowledge. But you will never do hear, you will never learn to hear communication from God. You will never hear him 
teach your kids something, work on them with them. That person that you're like, I don't know how to talk to my kids. You put a kid on the boat, you have six hours before they're getting off of it. They can talk to you for 15 minutes. Learn the other person's love language. Jake Gary Chapman, a man from Winston-Salem, has written this fabulous book called The Five Love Languages. There's five of them, hence the five love languages. Every one of us gives and receives love in different ways. Learn to speak your loved one's love language and bear the brunt of translation. Bear the brunt of translation. Say, I, I like, when I want to show Claire that she's loved, I want to give her a hug. You know what Claire really wants? A pot of daisies. Learn, 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 and bear the translation. I know it's hard and awkward and maybe even expensive. Learn. It's no more expensive than marriage counseling or divorce. And then we talked about these things that God did. God knows that repetition is the key to retention. What things are you seeing in your children all the time? So they go to the message. So they say they're not thinking about them. And our house knows this. These are truth tellers. We tell the truth. We don't go a day without saying that out loud. A picture is worth a thousand words. Actions speak louder than words. Be present and not just verbal. A short pencil is better than a long memory.
humble ourselves is to risk rejection. And so we run from you in sins and pettiness and busyness. But we're done running and we're coming to you, Jesus, first to heal our hearts and speak to them. Speak to us, God. Speak to us. Please speak to us. Discipline us to read and study and hide your word in our hearts that we might hear you when you ask you questions. I just know there's someone here today who's desperate to hear your voice. Maybe just ask you, God, when you come into my heart and my life right now, forgive all the sin that clogs my ears and I might more accurately, more uh, able to listen to you and obey you. I want to live like a 